0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In the power of Christ, I stand. Amen. In my own power, I'm not going to be able to stand. You can be seated if you can. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is so good. This morning was a crazy morning for me. Has anyone ever had a crazy Sunday morning? Come on, tell the truth. and shame the devil right now. I know you have. This was just a crazy. like every little thing was just off and, and not going right. And you know, sometimes I think the devil must be a miserable devil, amen. He's just not happy at all when, when when God's at work and doing something, amen. And you know when God's at work and doing something all the time, amen. He is, he is. So uh praise the Lord. It's great to be here today. It, it's great to see. Uh, friends and, and some people uh, members that I haven't seen in a little while it's great to see you it's also great to see uh, so many visitors as well to new life praise the Lord praise the Lord a um, couple things I just want to say before I jump into my sermon I know today's been a little long uh, with the other things we're doing how would you like me to just give a, a really short sermon that don't say yes because it's not gonna happen <laughs> It's not, it's not going to happen. I, I see that hand. I see that hand, but, but don't get too hopeful. It's not going to happen today. Um, praise the Lord. A um, couple things I just wanted to mention. Next week uh, in this pulpit will be a great friend of mine, Pastor Fred Harvey. From Spirit and Truth Church just across the boulevard in Hunting Park is going to be preaching the word of God, breaking open the word of God for us. So I'm so excited to have Pastor Fred uh, coming here. When my wife and I first came to Philly, uh, that was our first church. Uh, And so it's exciting to have him. And they asked me to go preach over there next month as well. That's going to be strange for me, but I'm looking forward to it. Amen. Back to Spirit and Truth and then also, just to remind you one more time again, this Friday night right here at seven o'clock, we're having the prayer and worship or worship and prayer night. Just really excited of what God was going to is going to do that night. Um, I don't think we're going to plan it too much, but we're going to pray about it and see what the Lord does on that night. So I just invite you to come on out and worship the Lord with us on that evening. Amen. Y'all ready for a sermon? Okay, let me do my best then. Here it comes. Um, June 19th, 1865. In the city of Galveston, Texas, the Union Army came in, led by General Gordon Granger. Now, already in town was 5,000 to 10,000 black Union troops from four different regiments in the north. But on that day, um, they came in. This is two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. It's more than two months since the Civil War had been concluded. But what had happened over the course of time during the war is that many slaveholders left the South and they went West, many of them into the territory of Texas so that By this time, there were 250,000 people who were living in bondage in Texas. But at that time, General Granger came in with all of these troops and he read what is called General Order Number 3. It begins with these words. The people of Texas are informed. In accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. It says this involves the absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. How many people know a lot of people quit their jobs that day? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Wow. One year later, on June 19, 1886, was the first public celebration of what then was called Jubilee Day. Uh, It later became known how we know it now Juneteenth and Pastor Tim already said it But just this past week it was signed into law to be recognized as a holiday of the end of slavery in the United States What a blessing So we thank God for that But here's what I want to emphasize this morning as we get into the scripture and into the Word of God There were hundreds of of thousands of men, of women, and of children on Juneteenth who had been legally set free from their slavery two and a half years earlier. Set free from their bondage. And yet they continued to live under that bondage all of that time. In other words, their technical status was free, but their lived experience was slavery. You hear me? Though the law, by law, they should have been living as they were free until the moment they heard the word of that proclamation, they were still functionally living under bondage and slavery. And here's here's my struggle today. Many people who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and who have been set free from the wages and from the power of sin are still living lives that are being dominated by the enemy like those who've been emancipated but still live under the yoke of slavery, many believers have believed that the lie, that bondage and powerlessness before sin is just the way things are. One day in the sweet by and by, it'll change. And that can be true of any Christian, if we'll be honest. While we've been set free from sin's dominating power... We still often live in the grip of it, as if sin has some right to dominate us. It does not. has no right. Today we're going to look at the biblical story of the Exodus from Exodus chapter 14. We're out of our Mark series this week. And the story for centuries has been celebrated in the black church as the quintessential declaration of God's will for his people. The Exodus story demonstrates in a few short verses of Scripture what the whole Bible is telling us that God is redeeming a people for his glory and setting them free from captivity and oppression and ultimately from the power and the penalty of sin. That's what God is doing. In his role as the great redeemer, God is always working to set his people free and causing them to flourish under his good hand. Here's one thing that that I want you to see that... Over the years and over the centuries, oppressed people like the Israelites have always seen this inseparable link in the word of God between the physical and the spiritual. Hear me now. Let's not make a false dichotomy between those two. Freedom from oppression and freedom from sin are not two contrasting ideas. They are actually opposite sides of the same coin. And today, we're going to have three people come up and read for us. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand at the reading of the Word of God. But I'm not going to ask you to read this morning with them. But we'll have Rose, our brand new member, and Victor and Marissa read to us from the Word of God. Oh, my bad.
1: Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm going to be reading Exodus 14, 10 verses. I guess we'll all be reading verses 10 through 31. <clears throat> As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, What was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen.
2: All right, this is verses 13, I'm sorry, 18 to 25. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt. And Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. Think of this as like that dry ground, this, this path right here. The water flowed. Nope, it's the wrong spot. It's the wrong spot. This is the dry ground. With the wall of water on the right and on the left, you guys are in the water. <laughs> the Egyptians pursued them and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. Now they have to go to Gary Barbera's. And the Egyptians said... Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord, like Mike Tyson, is fighting for them against
0: Egypt.
3: Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Before you're seated, well, if you're already seated, don't get back up again. It's all good. Wow. Wow. The word of God setting people free from slavery to freedom. Today, I'm going to talk on the, on the topic, walking to freedom Walking to freedom. God is setting people free. He is always about that ministry. The main point I'm going to make today is simply this. God wants his children to flourish and to walk in true freedom. Let me pray. Father, thank you this day for your word, which you have preserved for us to hear And not just for our intellectual amusement, Lord God, but for the changing of our lives, for believing, for holding on to, for walking after you and knowing what you can do because of what you have done and what you promised you will do. So, Lord, I pray that in the coming moments you'll bless my words and move by your word and by your spirit uh, among your people to the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen and amen. Those of you remaining standing can be seated. Amen. Amen. The Exodus story to me is always fresh and amazing. Like no matter how many times I watch the Ten Commandments, Uh, Some of you have watched that movie. I'm just amazed every time, even though everything's not perfectly accurate in it, it gives this picture of God setting his people free. What a picture of God's love. What a picture of God's power. What a picture of God's will for his people. He will set his people free. God's going to do that. And today in this passage, I want you to see just how God uh, enables us to throw off the shackles of sin and those things that call us into bondage and to become fully more the children of the living God. And I'm going to focus, this is a long passage of scripture, I'm going to focus on two verses, verses 13 and 14, as we look at three steps that God shows us in how to walk into freedom. Amen. So the first step is simply this. Step one, do not allow yourself to be ruled by fear. Someone should say amen already. Moses answered the people, verse 13, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Look, this is hard for us. This is hard for everyone because everyone is afraid of something. Let's be honest. We all have our different fears. I I was sitting on my back porch this week and I was writing about fear. And all of a sudden, this squirrel jumps off of the tree and onto the fence post about three feet from my face. Now, him and his buddy, Squirrel, have been messing with me for the last week. I've never been afraid of squirrels in my life. Squirrels are skittish. You just look at them, and they're scared, and they move away. And so this squirrel is on the fence like this with me, and I said, boo. The squirrel said back to me, boo to you. Didn't actually speak, but he didn't move. I'm like, this is not good. There's something wrong with this squirrel. I think they're rabid squirrels, honestly. Gina, I'm gonna take you up on that offer of getting your trap. Yes, I need to get them out of my life right now. But if we'll be honest, we're all afraid of something. I didn't think it would be squirrels for me. But if you've read the Bible very much at all, you're acquainted with these words be not afraid. Or do not fear. It's all over the word of God. It seems like every time God shows up or an angel shows up, that's either the first words or almost the first words he speaks to his people. Don't be afraid. You see it with Abraham. You see it with Joshua. You see it with Gideon. You see it with with Mary, the mother of the Lord. And we see it with countless others throughout the pages of scripture. Do not be afraid is the word of God. And in these verses, Moses is being used as the mouthpiece of God to his people. In the process of setting them free from 400 years of slavery, now they begin to cower in fear as they see Pharaoh and the army of Egypt coming after them. Verses 10 through 12 put it this way. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12 says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They weren't saying this a few minutes ago, y'all. But I love the Bible because it gives us a real picture. It tells us what's really going on. It doesn't dress it up to make it look nice. These folks were scared. And if we'd be honest, we would have been scared too, right? Egypt's not just any old army it's it's the most powerful army on the earth at the time they're coming with chariots and they're coming with horsemen and they're coming with weapons and the Israelite people have been shepherds and have been builders for all of these years in Egypt they don't know warfare they don't know how to fight they're not ready for it and on one side you've got uh, this great army coming at them on the other side you've got this sea and there's no way to get through it they were scared and so would you and i be as well and so they do the very natural thing that people do when they're really scared like that in fear they blame their leader for taking them away from what they knew what they knew was bondage what they knew was slavery but even in the face of that they blame moses for taking them away from what they know into something that is unknown and scary. You see just how crazy this is because Moses was anointed and called by God to deliver them and they knew that and now when the deliverer is beginning his delivering, now they're crying out and saying, why are you trying to deliver us in the first place? Here's what I want you to see. Fear always calls you away from your destiny and causes you to resist God's chosen means to set you free. Fear always calls you away from your destiny and causes you to resist God's chosen means to set you free. Just let that sink in for a little while into your soul. They say, leave us alone. They cry out, let us serve the Egyptians. Now watch this. Who are being ruled by fear, they would rather choose slavery over the sense of discomfort and the lack of control. Let's face it, no matter how bad things are sometimes, sinful human nature clings hard to what it knows even if what it knows is destructive we hold on to habits we cling tightly to sin patterns we give ourselves over to addictions that bring death and heartache because we've grown comfortable with them because they have a predictable pattern of reward. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get this reward, even if we know that that reward is only short term and the long term is death and destruction. We hold on to those things. Fear caused Israel to to crave slavery. Here's my question to you this morning. What destructive things are you holding on to Because it's easier to trust in what is familiar than to trust the Lord for the unknown. What are you holding on to? That is, is, that you know, that you can feel, you can, you can see, you can touch, you, you've been there before, you know what that's like, but you're fearing something that you know could set you free. Here's what I want you to see: in that if you're going to overcome a life ruled by fear, you need to see that God actually uh, desires your freedom and your flourishing more than you do. God wants to see you. God wants to see me set free. John, First John 4, 18 puts it this way. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We need to see this. The opposite of fear, hear me now, is not courage. The opposite of fear is not just being calm. I'm not fearful, I'm calm. I have courage. The opposite of fear is a deep trust in the living God that sets you free to love. That's the opposite of fear. So the first step for them into freedom is not to be afraid, not to be ruled by fear. And that leads right to the second step. Step number two, stand firm against the intimidation of the enemy. Stand firm against the intimidation of the enemy. Again, verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. And then he says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Now, obviously, being able to stand firm and not being afraid are very related to each other, aren't they? All of these things are related because they all come out of a growing trust in the living God. But I want to make sure that you understand when the scripture says stand firm, it's not saying just stand there and do nothing. That's not what the scripture is saying. The idea of standing firm is taking decisive action in believing God for what he's given you to do in order to live out your salvation. We need to see this through the whole of the Bible. Noah was standing firm for 120 years while he was building an ark. That was standing firm. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. Abraham was standing firm when he left Ur and walked, not knowing where he was going, but following the word of God. Deborah was standing firm when she pursued the Canaanite army that was much greater and more powerful than Israel's army because God said to do it. All of them were standing firm. Crazy obstacles, constant opposition. And what they were doing was declared crazy and, 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 uh, just, just foolish by many people and especially those closest to them. What are you doing? Where are you going? By the grace of God, they stood firm in the Lord's plan and did what the Lord told them to do. In this passage, Moses stands firm by doing what the Lord calls him to do. Verse 16 puts it this way. Moses is called to stand firm against the intimidation of the enemy. The, The word says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now, if you look at this in the Hebrew, it actually emphasizes Uh, What Moses is called to do, it makes it very emphatic. Moses, you are the one. Moses, you have to do this. It says, literally, you raise your staff and you stretch out your hand. Moses, I want you to do it. You see that God is telling him to stand firm. I have something for you to do. Let, let, let me break it down this way. Some of you have seen a Capital One commercial that says, what's in your wallet? That's the question it asks, right? And so um, there's a question that that I want us to look at, not what's in your wallet, but what's in your hand. Moses has a staff in his hand and God tells him to do something with that staff it's just a stick it's just a piece of wood but God says I want you to hold that staff up and when I and when you do that there's something that I will do Moses just has a stick in his hand but Moses knows that it's more than just a stick Because that stick was used and it turned into a snake and that stick was used and it turned the Nile into blood and that stick was used when he did what God said to do with it and did whatever God said would happen. Brothers and sisters, you have more than a stick in your hand if you follow Jesus Christ with your life. You have much more than a stick. You have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the promises of God. You've got the bondage breaking power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You've got more than just a stick. And when God calls you to follow Him in obedience, He gives you what you need to do that. Standing firm is the decision to believe the truth of the gospel in such a way that the power of the gospel is unleashed. It's the glorious work where the Holy Spirit enables you to walk progressively more and more in ways that honor God. I I want you to see this from Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you know Ephesians chapter 6, the great Uh, 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 chapter on spiritual warfare in verses 11 through 14 I'll put them up there I'm not going to read through them but you see in these verses on spiritual warfare four different times that God in spiritual warfare is calling his people to stand take your stand it says in verse 11 and then in verse 13 it says stand your ground after you've done everything stand and then in verse 14 14 he says stand firm them God is calling his people to take a stand to stand for him to stand believing how in the world pastor do I do that come on preacher I need some help I know I'm supposed to stand but how do I do it well if you read the rest of Ephesians 6 you'd know how Because it says, stand firm, having your your, your waist girded about by the belt of truth. In other words, believe what God's word says. Have the truth of God in you. How do I stand firm, pastor? I don't know how to do it. Well, it says, have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. In other words, I'm not standing on, on, on some kind of ground that might give way. I'm standing on the solid rock of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace how do you stand firm pastor he says take hold of the shield of faith which is able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy in other words God is saying believe what I told you I'm not lying Let's take up the word of God as a weapon. How do we stand? We put on this armor of God and believe God's word. He is not lying to us. He will accomplish everything he promised. Stand firm in the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. This call to stand firm is never a call to self-reliance. It's not what I would call pick yourselves up by the bootstrap ism. I like to put ism on the end of words if you haven't noticed. Standing firm is always a call to rest, to rely on, to rest in, and to receive confident assurance from the one who is able to do anything but fail. We stand firm in the finished work of Jesus Christ never in our own amazing strength. Some of you have messed up enough to know that you don't have any amazing strength. Whatever strength that you have It's certainly not amazing and you know that by now. So let's look at this final step that enables us to walk in freedom. Not only do we not allow ourselves to be ruled by fear and we stand firm in the intimidation against the intimidation of the enemy. But step number three, be still and let God fight for you. My, 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 be still and know that I am God, the psalmist says in Psalm 46. Look at verse 14 here. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I don't know about anyone else, but this is sometimes the hardest thing in the world for me. Let God fight. Let God do it. God's got you. Just be still. Don't manipulate the circumstances to get it done. This is hard for me because I have plans. Those who work close to me know that I have too many plans. Elders, you can say amen. It's okay. I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of ways. My wife knows even when we're just going out for the day, at the beginning of the day, I'll say, I have a strategy. I don't just have a plan. I have a strategy for how we can go to ShopRite and then we can go here and go there and then visit the kids and we can do this. I have a strategy for it. I'm thinking through how to do it. Standing back. And letting God fight for me is is not the way I feel like I'm programmed in my sin because I got to get it done myself. I've got a way to do it. But God says, just stop. Stop. Something I want to do and you get no credit for it. See, we have to choose sometimes. Do we want glory? Do we want credit? Or do we want to see the salvation of our God? You're not going to get both. You don't get both. You don't get glory. You don't get credit. But if you want to be free, if you want to see a saving power, you can get that. But all the glory goes to him. He's the one who's done the work. Doesn't go to us. Here's what I want you to understand. Being still requires you to develop a greater trust in God's ability than in your own ability. I'm going to say that one more time. Being still requires you to develop a greater trust in God's ability than in your own ability. That seems so simple. That seems so yesterday that's so easy that is discipleship 101 and i would say amen it is discipleship 101 but you know what else it is it is your phd dissertation in discipleship it is actually living out what you know in your head it's living it out it's saying god i'm gonna trust you for this and for this and for this one and for that one and i'm not going to manipulate the circumstances to make it happen as a pastor, I want to try to do something to, to, to see God's work flourish in this church. But often God is saying, let it go. Let it go. Walk faithful. Do the next thing I give you to do. Don't do that. I hear a lot of don't do that from the Lord. <laughs> I was telling my wife about a situation just this past week where uh, my tendency was to go full 100 percent and there was something I saw and like I can make this happen and God said hands off let it go that's not yours if that's going to happen you'll know it was me you'll know it wasn't you manipulating the circumstance too easy to do that let me just tell you let, let, let me say this to mothers and fathers happy father's day again to the father's But God is calling us to trust God with our children. Trust God with that adult child who's not walking with the Lord. Trust God. In other words, God hasn't designed you to be able to save them. You can't save them. But God has called you to love them. And to trust him for everything else. God help us not to do what only you can do. Not to try to do that. Let me give you this one as well. And this is for anyone here. Regardless of your age. Struggling with a habit. Perhaps it's even an addiction. Whatever it is. Whatever someone calls it. But you know that you promised God 10,000 times Yeah, I I did that, but that's the last time, Lord. That's never going to happen again. How many of you know 10,001 is probably right around the corner? Some of you know that by now. And I hope you've learned like I've had to learn that my promise to God like that doesn't mean very much. My promise to God doesn't mean that much If it is grounded in my power and my ability, but God's promise to me means everything. And God's promise to you means everything. He is the God who sets his people free. And if you call on him, he will set you free. He will give you what you've been praying for and working for, but you won't get the credit for it. He will be glorified. But here's what I want you to know as well. Even if you're on time number 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000, you've got to understand this, that God won't love you more if you break your addiction. He couldn't possibly love you any more than he loves you right now at this very moment. So I want you now to stop striving for his love. We don't walk in holiness to get God's favor. We're enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to walk out more holiness because we've received His favor. God loves His people. The Lord said to Moses, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. What a salvation. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Rest, my brother. Be still, my sister. Tell someone next to you, God's got you. Now tell someone else, God's got you. Let me finish up today. As I get ready to pray, here's what I want you to see. Like those people who were still in Texas who were living under bondage, even though they had been declared free. God's calling you. He is crying out to you by the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have been set free. Don't believe any lie that says that this Slavery that you're encountering, this bondage that you're encountering, this habit, this addiction, you you, you can't break that. God can break anything and everything, and he will. One day, it's all going to be broken. Every vestige of sin will be wiped away, and there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. No more struggle. Only glory to God. Glory to God and glory to God. That day is coming. I don't know when. And I'm just starting to learn now that it doesn't matter when. Because God will surely bring it to pass. I've got things that that God has spoken to me in in, in my life that I believe that I need to do, that I'm a part of what God is doing in the earth. But very often, I don't know exactly what my part is. Am I at the very beginning stage of this? Or am I going to be one who actually sees uh, the overcoming and the victory that I'm praying for, that I'm seeing? I don't know. And what I'm learning is, It doesn't matter (laughs) because if I'm faithful to God I've got a baton in my hand and so do each of you who are walking with Jesus Christ and you've got a race to run a race that's different from anyone else's race whoever came before you who comes after you who's running beside you you have a race to run I have a race to run and God is giving us the means to run that race to walk in freedom And to see his name glorified. Let me pray. Father God we thank you today. For your amazing grace. What a mighty God we serve. Lord I pray. That that you will move. By the power of your Holy Spirit. In the lives of any person in this room who will cry out to you today and say, I don't want the credit. I don't want the glory. I just want to be free. For anyone who's watching this, Lord, live or someone who will watch it a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now, hearing the podcast, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you'll set people free to the glory of God. Lord, have your way And let your name be glorified in all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.